Well, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum, where I, Ben Hilsinger, bring on my favorite drummers, songwriters, and industry veterans to discuss the top five whatever. Today's guest is Yuri Ruli, drummer for the iconic punk band MXPX. His speed, creativity, and discipline were a huge influence on me growing up, and if I ever need a good ass whooping, I'll put on life in general and sweat my way through a barrage of beats at tempos that really make me question Yuri's sanity. Today we discuss the top five songs that best represent his influences when he started playing drums. Please enjoy my conversation with the legend Yuri Zane Ruli. Can I call you sweetheart? Or even live All right, I'm here with Yuri Ruli. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> of course, happy to be here. Yeah, and so I always avoid saying this because it kind of sounds like a backhanded compliment when you say, oh, hey, man, I grew up listening to you because it makes the person feel old. <laughs> but <laughs> right. you're not that much older than I am. So I, I don't feel bad because we kind of grew up together in a way. Right. Um, how old were you when you, when you recorded Poconatcha? Uh I would have been... Uh, just turned 18, just turned 18. So yeah, turned 18 in June of 94. And we, we went into the studio to record Poconatcha in July, July, August of 94, like over the, it was only, we were only there for two weeks, three weeks, maybe at a studio called Avast in Seattle. Oh, I know that studio. Yeah. 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 It's now like a, like a yoga studio or something, but it was kind of, you know, for a sort of dumpy and plain as it was, it was kind of a, you know, it was like a famous studio at least, you know, we had sound, the guys from Soundgarden came in when we were recording one time. It was super weird because <laughs> they were friends with the guy that owned the place. Yeah. So, yeah. Were you a big fan of Soundgarden? Not particularly, but like I knew who they were, you know, like Matt Cameron and Kim Thale walk in and it's just sort of like, oh, hey, what's up? You know? random <laughs> you're just holding your sticks like hi yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> how long yeah. had you been playing drums at that point uh about two and a half years yeah i was a late late bloomer as far as actually getting my hands on some drumsticks and and playing like when i started i started playing uh just after like christmas of 91 so yeah early 92 i started playing and uh taking lessons from a guy here in town and i met mike and andy uh you know the first guitar player yep. like within a month or so of that because we we uh were kind of in the same friend group but i had not really met them yet and so they were mike was looking for a drummer um because him and andy were playing together drummerless and so i jokingly said that i was a drummer because i had just started playing and mike it was desperate enough, and he kind of jumped on that, and we, we went and ha- he came over the next weekend or something, and we we had a jam session in my house, and uh, that was it. I mean, it was pretty much decided at that point. Yeah, let's do this. You know, I mean, I I could probably count on one hand like how many beats I knew. You know, just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just That's I was me right still now. very <laughs> still very much uh, new to the whole thing. Like. And punk rock too. Like I 
didn't really grow up listening to punk rock. At that point, I was maybe aware of like a few bands. So like when I when Mike wanted to play like the punk beat, I had to like find bands to sort of like, oh, what is that supposed to sound like? And what is that? You know, so Bad Religion was real helpful for that because they were sort of that like not quite no effects speed, you know? Yeah. And so that was my, I remember getting there and then slowly kind of getting up into the sort of no effects kind of thing. So it's funny you uh, you make that that sound with your with your mouth because you did a boot dat boot dat boot dat and when I associate with you the earlier records it's the boot dat boot dat boot dat where right. you were so disciplined to get that that double in there <laughs> yeah yeah um, and the reason why I asked how how long you were playing is because I I've been playing I mean I consider myself a professional drummer but I'll still put on Poconaccia Life in General. And for you to play those songs, having only played for two years, blows my mind. <laughs> you know, I don't know how funny. the hell you got that fast, man. <laughs> so I, I don't either. I think it had a lot to do with school band, to be honest, because, yeah, I was playing marching band and stuff then. And it's just a lot of single stroke roles and, you know, stuff like that. And, yeah, well, I listened to Poconaccia and even Teenage Politics and I'm like, I don't know if I could play those songs anymore without like rewriting them to be more playable because they're just it's just so much going on. And I'm like, I was a totally different player then because yeah. I I hadn't. So like life in general was a very um, pivotal moment for me as a player and for us as a band because. I'd never had someone just like lay into me like that. Like, no, <laughs> you're not doing it right. You know, like you got to do it again and again and again and hit harder and, and, and be more even and all this stuff. And so that, you know, like producers actually, um, helped me a lot. Steve Kravak, the guy that produced, uh, life in general and, uh, slowly going the way of the Buffalo. He was, he was a drummer. He is a drummer. Um, in addition to other things, but, so he was just on me, you know, and uh, that changed my playing for the rest, you know, up until now, like my approach to everything. Before then, it was a lot more busy, get as many notes in every space as possible, you know, just uh, that was kind of what I really, really liked then. And, and it was fun, but I was definitely like a lighter, had a much lighter touch. And it was almost kind of jazzier in a way, you know, like just, yeah, very splashy on things and, and not a heavy hitter at all. And I, I don't consider myself to be a heavy hitter now, but, you know, like in comparison, yeah. Yeah, I consider you, I mean, especially on Ever Passing Moment, I mean, those songs are huge, but I've always viewed you as a very efficient player, which is, again, right. there's a few things that we'll talk about, like Bill Stevenson and mm-hmm. you mentioned Bad Religion. Um but uh, yeah, just very efficient players. But when I look at you, you don't exude any extra stuff. I mean, your 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 set is very ergonomically, you know, set up to uh, to go very fast, which is something that as I progressed, I've gotten more of that. You know, I was all all right. flat and just you know high cymbals and all that bullshit that all the drummers do to look cool. Yeah, it looks cool. It looks really yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's just uh, let's let's hop into the first one. So okay. You had mentioned Bad Religion, so let's just let's just jump into that one. Your first choice is uh, the track Generator off the album Generator. Right. Is there a certain spot you wanted me to play? Not particularly. I, I kind of picked Generator 
uh, I just love this song, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we toured a lot with Bad Religion, uh, like starting in like 98, we did our first tour with them over in Europe. It was just us and Bad Religion. Um, and then we continued on and we did the Warp tours one after the other and they were on them too. So we like became, you know, fairly good friends with those guys and, and the drummer at the time, Bobby Cher, uh, was probably the most outwardly friendly. I mean, they're all they're all good guys, but mm-hmm. but Bobby was would seek us out to hang out with us, you know, because I think he felt a little bit like kind of a, you know, he wasn't one of the cool guys or, or whatever, you know, he, mm-hmm. in the band. He didn't necessarily have. Um, it just didn't seem like he had like he was a little of an outsider. But anyway, so he would come hang out with us and and uh, but I watched him every night every night and and i love his playing and he is very simple and i changed the way i set my drums up because of him and just try you know i was just still just trying stuff i'm like oh that's interesting i was has his ride symbol kind of up higher like this oh yeah that works really well um some stuff he does I, I i always thought that's an interesting choice like he would never have he would never like sizzle his hi-hats at all they were always closed like okay. so, if you even on the records, if you listen to bad religious songs when he's playing fast, the hi hats are closed. You know, it's just like what? What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just seems like kind of an odd choice, but it's very clean. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was an interesting, interesting guy. He played his sticks backwards, and he would have his tech take like a big, like knife and chop his stick to create these like. Um, spines coming out of a stick so that he would like as a grip sure it was just crazy i mean that was crazy looking when you like when he would do fresh ones and i mean as he grabbed them they would you know they would kind of come in and not be as as uh crazy but still and i was like why do you do that and apparently he threw like a stick out one time and it hurt somebody and so he was like, I'll never do that again. So th- I don't know if that was true. But that was just the story he told. But yeah, yeah, he was very meat and potatoes and loved Ringo. Like if he if he saw me watching him, he, he would like look over at me and he'd start doing like the Ringo hi-hat thing, like while they're the playing a forth. set. Yeah, 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 the the swashy thing. <laughs> and he would like do the Ringo head <laughs> while Bad Religion's playing to like 4,000 people. He's just doing that to like entertain me. <laughs> like a rock, like a planet, like a fucking atom bomb. I'll remain unperturbed by the joy and the madness that I encounter everywhere I turn. I've seen it all along. It looks in magazines, like a trick before dying, like a photographic scene. There's a that song in particular, well, so really I picked Bad Religion because they were that band that Mike, you know, our singer Mike was kind of like, well, yeah, this is kind of what we're going for, you know, and like the big, big Tom fills, you know, so it's kind of like Pete Finestone should be there, you know, honorable mention, although he didn't play on that record, but, you know, he mm-hmm. was their first drummer up, you know, from like 85 or three, whenever he was their first drummer for like the first couple records and he was really the you know you know the one that did all those super crazy tom fills and stuff that was really my introduction to what mike was 
trying to do, you know, because he was writing more. He was one, you know, we were a punk band, but like when we first started, like he he doesn't really speak drummer. So like we were playing, he was playing a fast song, but I, I couldn't hear that that was what was going on. And so I was just playing straight and he's like, no, no, like more snare. I was like, okay. So I was like <laughs> adding all of those like, and do do you know like all he's like no 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 not like that like snare twice as often okay okay <laughs> and so then i just was going boot chip boot chip boot chip boot chip and he was like yeah yeah that's it so then like, yeah bad religion and and those early bad religion records were oh no there's like a little bit of a swing to it but then, of course, no effects and yeah, the, the no effects is kind of the, the the super fast. Yeah. You know, that's that's where I was like, oh, okay, gotcha. Because Bill Stevenson never does that. You know, he never when he play when they play fast songs, he just plays it straight. Do cut do cut do cut do cut do. You know, because they don't play that kind of thing very often. But well, let's actually switch over. So number two is going to be thank you for segueing. You're such oh, a good yeah, host. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, is Bill Stevenson uh, the drummer for the Descendants and uh, the albums All and the track is is Pep Talk. Yeah. So yeah, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just want to you know keep us yeah, on the right so track. Yeah. Pe- so Pep Talk. Pep Talk's one. Of, I mean, it's one of my favorite Descendants songs. Um, also, it kind of that record is All. And, you know, that they became all at that point because Milo had uh, made the decision to leave the Descendants and, and go do s- school, go to college. Um, and all is a phenomenal band as well. But this is kind of their transition. But this song, Pep Talk, has some things that I love about Bill Stevenson. Obviously, I th- he may have written this song. I'm not sure. But um, he's an amazing songwriter. <laughs> Like some of the, you know, the poppiest, like most popular uh, Descendant song Bill wrote, you know. Awesome. Yeah. So it's always kind of like cool when a drummer is like a writer and stuff. But um, it's got a lot of his really intense 16th notes because that, that was one of the things like his single stroke rolls. That was one of the things when I first was listening and being shown these punk bands the descendants i mean i love them they were one of my favorite bands through high school and stuff was just how does bill do that how does he regulate his volume so well like all his fills are super loud you know and it's like you know as a drummer is playing fast when you're doing your fills oftentimes because you're playing more notes in a you know in that same time frame your volume's going to come down because you just cannot swing your sticks that fast and Absolutely. all that. But for Bill, like he, I was like, what is he doing? You know? And so pep talk kind of covers that. There's also this thing that he does that it's like when he's doing that do to cut, do to cut, do to cut, do to cut, the sort of straight beat. There's this little ghosted, um, kick drum that, makes it you go and i was like what is that so i was asking him because i you know we'd be we toured those guys a lot mostly all but you know in the warp tour days and i i introduced myself to bill i was totally starstruck by all those guys when we first started touring with them but uh and bill especially and it took a long time for me to like chill out around him but I would ask him, I'd pick his brain. I've picked his brain so much over the years. And he, he said, when I was asking him, what is it? How do you do that? You know, that little, like, uh, that kick drum thing. And he's like, 
He's like, that's just an accident. He's like, my foot just, it just sort of lazily does that, like, kick after the snare. And, uh, yeah, he's like, I don't even try to do it or stop doing it or whatever. I'm like, that is amazing. <laughs> you just accidentally do this, like, super cool little thing that if you tried to do it, it's really hard, you know? <laughs> Um, so this one particular too, uh, it's in that intro is in seven four, like like, okay. l- like the riff. When you guys are writing songs, do you think in terms of music theory, or do you think of just oh Mike, Mike or Tom, um, or Andy at the beginning wrote this riff, yeah. and you think of like how can I kind of dance around that, or do you go like okay this is in six, so I have to do this, and you know, it. It, not super deep. I mean, I I have a basic understanding of music theory. I didn't know that was in seven four per se. But I, <laughs> I really it, hope it is. I mean, da Okay, yeah, I could I could hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of yeah cuts off. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting because Mike has no very very little music theory background uh, as far as like traditional in the traditional sense i mean uh, he knows you know chord progressions and chord relationships and all that stuff really well now yeah he's you know? a great bass player the stuff yeah. he comes up with my god yeah totally but like so i've relied on tom quite a bit sometimes like if if we're going through learning a new song Tom was a drummer, you know, when, when, uh, that was his first instrument and the first drum set I ever played was Tom's. So, you know, he's not in this list, but like he was really my first influence, believe it or uh-huh. not. But, yeah. Um, but so Tom would help me. Like if I was having a hard time getting something, he would go, Oh yeah, yeah he means this. And he would like actually sometimes count out the rhythms of things and be like oh yeah yeah okay and mike's sitting there kind of frustrated like <laughs> you know like whatever yeah. should have just been able to get it by what i said but whatever you know so because i said more he- snare that's clear yeah 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 <laughs> hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. 
and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com. Just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five, I want you to get back to the show. But go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time. And I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co. The Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. And check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Because I mean, really everything we do is in 4-4, maybe 6-8 sometimes, but or sometimes both, but, uh, yeah, he'll throw in some odd things every now and then, but yeah, I don't, I I actually want to get more into this where you actually analyze songs and, and all that kind of stuff, but I haven't spent a ton of time doing that. Um, you know, just learning the songs was kind of enough, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would, I don't want to, change you in any way i think you're doing just fine whatever you're doing (laughs) right 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 no but i i definitely do like i i definitely uh want to start getting into stuff that i didn't do for the longest time like learning other songs and and yeah just because i don't know it's just interesting after 30 years (laughs) yeah but it's it's fun to me because i've done a lot of these interviews with a lot of drummers i look up to you Mm. are definitely on that list and there is no pattern on, oh, the ones that tend to do this kind of style think in this way, or they're more technical, yeah. the other one's romantic about it. It's really just, it's fun to know there is no normal way that you should be, because everyone gets to point A to point B, you know, different. Right, um, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, you know, I've played with other people very infrequently, but in other situations, you know, I've played with other people and whatever I've learned from MXPX has prepared me for playing with those other, in those other situations, either just sitting in and jamming with people like at an open jam night at the bar or playing in a church setting, you know, with a band and, and yeah, I mean, cause you know, it's like, Oh, MXPX, you know, we're just a punk band, but that level of like, uh, I guess it's at a pretty high level. I mean, I think, you know, the other day we were, um, going through a new song that Mike had written and it's like, if I don't have it figured out by like the third time around, it's like frustrating. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it's like, wow, that's, that's almost like being a session musician, you know, it's like, really, you got to know this like immediately and have ever all your parts down, you know, where I really like work, my workflow would be is a lot more back and forth, a lot more play something, listen back to it, analyze it, think about it, make some adjustments, you know, but they don't have time for that, you know? Like, we did a song actually kind of remotely. I tracked it right here, and uh, I absolutely loved that um, process because Mike sent just an acoustic demo of this song, and I went through and, and tracked my drums in Logic, and and sent him like a, a stereo mix of what I had. And he's like, um, you know, had a few notes for changes. Busier was what he wanted. Cause I'd normally just, my first try at something, I'm always like pretty plain, knowingly plain, like sure. just getting everything situated. And I came, I 
spiced it up, added a few more fills. He was like, yep, that's great. And it's and it was just so uh, satisfying for me. Although you know, I did a lot more takes than I would if I was doing it at the the monkey trench. You know, just because like the clock's ticking. You know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's a, a certain level of you you subconsciously step it up when you know the people are in the other room going like, I mean, I'm hungry. I want to get lunch before <laughs> Yuri finishes his damn take. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. And so I I wanted to piggyback off what you were saying about about Mike and, you know, not being able to communicate necessarily with drums, did that, and this, this might be a leap, but in the earlier records, there would be random tempo changes oh, out of nowhere. Yeah. Yes. Was that kind of because he wasn't thinking of his, his strumming patterns like, this works in my head melodically, just figure it out? Yeah, a lot of, yeah, I l- listened to a lot of those early recordings, and yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just like, what was that? Like, I can't even listen to, yeah, I did not play to a click until, for a very long time, and it shows. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 and it's, maybe I worded it wrong. I meant No, it, no, it's And okay, I'm not saying, okay. like, it's, it's not like, oh, it starts to drag, or it's like, oh, the chorus, you can tell he did It's like, you'll be doing boop-a-tat, boop-a-tat. Just like out of nowhere, oh, goes yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. Those like drastic yeah, changes. That, that was that was what he wanted to do. Yeah, these like yeah, going super fast beat to like the slow like fifties beat. Like, yeah, yeah, just very like you have zero seconds to get like settle into this. It's just there it is. So yeah, that was. I don't know where that came from to be honest. Like, there are some influences he has that I. You know, there's certain records that we've made that I can say, okay, he was listening to a lot of this person or that person. But that stuff, I don't know. That might have been kind of some of the some of those changes might have been just something he wanted to try. Yeah. Well, and that's I don't know of any other bands that really have. And that's why I was I brought this up because I was curious if there was stuff because I do associate that style as a very early MXPX thing, which I love. It's kind of. Just, it's 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 a punk rock ethos in and of itself of being like, oh no, we're gonna have five tempos in this, and you can you can just deal with it. Yeah, 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 totally. No, yeah, I really do think so because Mike's influ- musical influences are pretty varied. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was listening. I remember early on, on our early tours, he was getting into like '50s kind of swing music and stuff, and that's and also early like doo-wop bands and stuff like that. Like he was getting super into that stuff. Richie Valens and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of artists of that time. And so he was like jamming that stuff into these other punk rock songs. And that's kind of what happened, I think, you know, and then, and then later, you know, country, he got super into country. And then I could hear like, start to hear Hank Williams and stuff in, in, in our songs and stuff. But, yeah, I, those weird tempo changes. Yeah, they're 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 different. <laughs> they're very different. I do want to move on to number three, but I also want to come back to kind of uh, a bridge from what you were talking about just there. Okay. Um, okay. So number number three, let's just go Mud Honey. Let's go to Seattle band. Um, yeah, drummers Dan Peters. The album's yep. Super Fuzz, Big Muff, and the songs uh, Chain That Door.
Yeah, so I picked Chain That Door because uh, this was, a, again, an, when I first started playing drums, this band are, was popular in a group of friends. And, yeah, they were kind of a Seattle grunge band, kind of coming up with Nirvana and stuff. And Dan Peters was one of those guys, lots of single-stroke roles. And, and I can hear his playing a lot in my in our early records where he is just, like, constantly... You know, and it's just like, wow, that's cool. You know, that's sort of that, like, it's easily attainable for a new drummer, I think. To It's just like single stroke rolls, but it's just it's just about playing them as fast as you can and going around the kit and doing those fills. So, so and he's he's great. He's a great drummer. But that was he was a very early influence, even like pre Bill Stevenson, you know, yeah. like before I was really even super aware of Bill. It was all about Dan Peters. <laughs> I mean, I know you say that, you know, single strokes, you kind of alluded to them being kind of elementary. I think that's some of the hardest things to do to make them sound clean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. I just, I think for me, it was like attainable. Like I listen mm-hmm. to guys like Matt Garska and stuff like that. Sure. And, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That's all I you have mean, to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like nothing he does is like, I don't know, anyway. So like someone like Dan, it's like, wow, that's amazing. But I think there was some, something about that playing that I could, I could envision what he was doing, you know, Mm -hmm. but it would just take some time to get up to that, those tempos. So that's kind of what I meant. Not, not that it's easy. No, for sure. It's not, I still, I still, yeah, work on my single strokes and try to get them clean and yeah. Yeah. Doing like a 16th (laughs) note, like a a 16 note kind of like disco beat and then just yeah. going da 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 and going back to it and making the singles between your snare and your hi-hat feel like it's the one one coherent thought. Right. That's still, you know, it's yeah, like you, oh, yeah. you, you can get it done. And weirdly enough, live, you can almost do it easier because you're just the adrenaline's going. But when you record yourself, you're like, do I need to start all over again? Like, what the <laughs> hell, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Makes... It is hard. It is hard to listen back to yourself for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing that more and more, and it's just like, ugh. As I maybe yeah maybe in the context of MXPX I'm all right but like the second I start like just doing my own thing it's like it just sounds so like just peel like 25 years off my playing or whatever (laughs) it's weird yeah I've been getting more into uh, I had James Gadsden on the show so I've been kind of prepping for being able to talk to him Uh I was listening to just only mo like only like Detroit style drumming. Yeah, and those those songs are so opposite from my instincts, which is punk rock, and but they're so fun to play because you're like three minutes into a song and you're like, oh, I've done one tom fill, <laughs> and my yeah. my sticks have gone maybe three inches up from my hi hat, and it's just you you can't rely on the showmanship, right? You actually have to be a good drummer, and I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but with that chain that door song, um, so. Dan has a cool feel because I don't think these songs were recorded to click either. Oh, I'm sure they weren't. Yeah. Because in that intro, it go it well. There's the intro intro, and then it goes to kind of the riff where he kind of goes into the beat, and it it slows down. It definitely does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then even dur- throughout the song, when he's doing his fills, and that just shows you how good the band is because during his fills, he rushes the one. Uh-huh. But it, it seems it seems so purposeful, and nowadays everyone's on the click. And I don't mean to seem like that old curmudgeon, because uh, yeah. I because I love pop music. That's perfect, and I'll I'll run to it. I I I love it. Me too. 
but the, 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 those bands that they just they they appreciate what the drummer has to offer so much and they know that he rushes the one or they know that he has a tendency when he goes from an intro to a to a beat that he's going to slow it down and it's this kind of they're working in congress that you don't you don't hear as as, as much lately and when i heard that song i was like oh it's so refreshing yeah yeah that it's not for perfect. sure right oh yeah absolutely and i think you know listening to bands like that and then doing our own early records, you know, where, yeah, time was just a magazine as, as a friend of mine says, you know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, I, you know, we, we just kind of went with it, you know, like I yeah, listening, we, you know, we were doing these live shows and we're, or streaming shows mm-hmm. and l- going back into our catalog and, and some of the stuff that's from those first couple years. And it's just like, Ooh, but you know, again, it's like you said, they just went with it. Like I'm just rushing these hits, like, you know, this trying to go along with the vocal and Mike's just rushing his vocal just to kind of be in time with those hits. And it was like, that was never like a conversation. Like maybe we should do that again. It was just like, no, we made it work. Let's go move on to the next one. You know, cause we were always in a big hurry to get everything done. Well, and that's you why know? I think with, with the uniqueness of, of punk rock bands, because and this is coming from a punk rock lover, so I hope this doesn't come across as negative to anyone listening. But it's some some of it can get monotonous because it's like sure. distorted guitars, loud drums, mm-hmm. bass, yep. melodic vocals. But those little imperfections and uniquenesses about even before the vocals come in for some songs, you're like, oh, that's this band. I can tell because they're weird snare sound or because they're rushing insert A or, you know, whatever. That yeah, that's that's what makes it unique when otherwise it could be like, oh, it's a one, four, five with like a you know, a punk rock beat. For sure. Hey guys, we'll be right back with the show, but I wanted to talk real quick about Waves Audio. I use an endless amount of their plugins, including the vocal writer for this podcast. And for my drumming, I use the SSL channel, Abbey Road Saturator, CLA drums for that easy, quick, polished sound, and and many, many more. We're an affiliate member, and if this show brings you any sort of value, please kick the please kick, (laughs) please click the link in the show notes to make your next purchase. It supports me directly and helps keep the show going. So, all right, now back to the top five ways to make soup. Um, and so, yeah, let's go to number, actually, no, before we go to the next one, I want to talk about kind of your, uh, you know, uh, Mike's more 50s style influences. Can you tell the story, uh, if there is one about kind of the the first time he introduced Chick Magnet and how, because that's obviously that's a departure from the rest of the records. Yeah, uh, yeah. That song, at least from life in general. How how that kind of come up, come together in the practice room? Was it a joke? It it wasn't actually that that started happening on tour. I think maybe like our second tour, um, we brought out you know one guitar, one bass. You know, so if Tom broke a string. Mike would try to sort of fill the empty space oh, with okay. that bass line. So it just started as like a, a little, you know, while Tom's break, broken his string and restringing it madly on the side of the stage, <laughs> him and I would just kind of like do that little jazzy thing, that little jazzy bass line. And, uh, and then I think after that tour, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that thing we used to play? I, I, I wrote a song around it. And so that, yeah, that became Chick Magnet. And I asked yeah. if it was a joke because, um, yeah, Do Your Feet Hurt, like that. Oh, and yeah. then the first song off of um, Teenage Politics, I believe, 
like you, you kind of start with that with that kind of ride symbol yeah, thing, and then, like, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and then with your you know one two one two three four because you actually yeah. have three vocal starts on that record anyways <laughs> it, it almost seems like you guys really had fun writing that stuff and it was almost like you wanted to make the listener laugh sometimes i think so yeah i think for me probably more than anybody but i think the other guys played along you know there was a sense of like they were starting this super fast song which is a weird little like little like you know and then it just goes into this blazing fast thing um yeah there there's some yeah teenage politics has quite a few goofy like drum intros there's one that just does like a like a triplet like it's just in in no relation to what's coming up sure or or nodding to a bridge fill or anything like that just just this random fill that's sort of just thrown out there and then we just go i mean those you know we got away from those as we sort of cleaned up but yeah oh for sure uh in the beginning we definitely were having and fun in the practice space you know yeah, though it's yeah. just uh, it. Yeah, it it warms my heart when I hear like any kind of drummer do because you can be funny by hitting things. It's like I don't know, humor can translate and personality yeah. can translate through that kind of stuff. So it's fun. Absolutely, yeah. All right, so next one is uh, William Goldsmith from Sunny Day okay. Real Estate. Uh, the track is Red Elephant off LP two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this let's is... yeah just go ahead. Yeah, this is a kind of a different one, uh, like. You said before when we were setting up this uh, podcast, you're like, when I went through my list of people, like, it was different than I would have expected. If I, these wouldn't be the people I'd just pick off the top of my head. Yeah. Save for like Bill Stevenson, you know, of course. Yeah. But um, like William Goldsmith, I wanted to pick people that actually really like made me go, I want to play differently because I want to play more like that person, you know? Sure. And William Goldsmith, although. You know, Sunny Day, they, they do have some faster stuff, but, like, um, the thing about William Goldsmith, and I think this song illustrates it well, is his slower playing. He's just a monster, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and this chorus, especially the fill coming into the chorus and and just the Tom thing, like, oh, man, it just it's just huge. Um, it's just, it's really repetitive, but it's just, it's, a, it's just huge. And... Uh, I remember, <laughs> I've actually never seen him play live. I mean, I've seen him on video and stuff like that. But, and he's just, yeah, he's an animal, you know. And so we had that side project, Arthur, mm-hmm. in the late 90s, you know, over the, the turn of the century era. And he was, it was slower stuff. And he was a big influence on me for that. I was like, that's what I kind of want to sound like. Just It's like slower, but it's just this guy's just murdering his drums, but he's a really great player. You know, it's not like for lack of finesse and all that kind of thing. Sure. I mean, yeah, that, that song, especially he is so tight. Those fills are so clean. Yeah, exactly. You can't get much. I mean, I'm assuming that's what 90, 95. Oh, LP two came out. Yeah. I guess it would have been. Yeah. 96, maybe 95, 96. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. I mean, that's all the tape. I mean, you can, you can splice tape, but I don't think to make him, they're not splicing everything he's doing on that. So that's actually him no. playing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I've listened uh, some of the Sunday real estate records. Uh, what is it? The rising tide. That's one of my favorite records of all time. And yeah, his playing on that is just, Oh my God. He's just so good. He's ridiculous. 
something I found out about LP2 uh, today, actually, was uh, I was listening to a podcast with William on it, actually, weirdly enough. Oh, okay. And he was saying how in LP2, there, there's, no, there's no lyrics on the record. It's right. all, it's all just, I didn't know that. Maybe that's a popular story, but the, he's just all just kind of mouthing the, the words they were writing, like the nonsensical stuff when they were writing it. Yeah. And then he just recorded that. But everyone said how that, that record means so much to them. It's so interesting how lyrics don't really matter sometimes. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that, it definitely sounds that way. It sounds like lyrically it's not finished. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, like that's the, the 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 gibberish that you kind of do to sort of figure out your way through the song until you solidify it but they just never did that part of it <laughs> but it's Jeremy Enoch you know like he, even he can make that just sound like it's on purpose you know exactly <laughs> like, exactly <laughs> um so. so i i had mentioned ever passing moment and yeah that record just hit me at the right time mm. and uh Jerry Finn yeah. was someone who, I mean, it's very unfortunate, obviously, for a million reasons why we lost him too soon, but he, I love yeah. his drum sounds and his production style. Do you have any stories that you remember specifically about recording the drums with Jerry and maybe how they were a little different than recording with the producer you had mentioned previously? Yeah, oh yeah, Steve Kravak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was quite a difference uh, working with Jerry because Steve, Steve was very... Um, he paid a lot of attention to the drums. Obviously, you know, like he wanted perfection mm-hmm. and was slowly going the way of the Buffalo just to, to build on the story a little bit. Jeez, I name spe- drop. I would, <laughs> I would spend 12 hours a day recording drums and get like one song done. Like, like it was just pun. It was mentally, emotionally, it was a punishment, you know, it was just like, he would stop the tape and be like, yeah, that, that hi-hat, cause he would want, you know, when I'm playing just like a straight beat, the hi-hats would have to be like, you know, like if they varied at all, stop, start over, you know, it wasn't like we weren't punching in. So it was like, I had to go all the way back to the beginning and yeah, so it was rough anyways. And then we worked with Jerry on uh, the Ever Passing Moment, and he was a drummer too, but he was so laid back. It was weird. It it, it threw me when we first worked when we worked with them, uh, because I would be in there sweating, you know, and just going crazy, and finally get a take that I was like, uh, okay, I'll listen to this one, you know. <laughs> and we went in there, and I'd always be like, what do you think, you know? And he he was like, yeah, man, I think it was pretty good, you know. And we'd listen to it, and I'm like, no, no, just like you know, like whipping myself. <laughs> um, it's not perfect, and yeah. and he'd be like, I, I, he's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like, I don't know what you hear, but I think it's a good take, you know. So that was kind of what it was working like working with Jerry. Like, I couldn't tell you what he did. He was so he was so hands off, but in in a in a way, you know, like he was obviously you know, very into mic placement and all that kind of stuff. But as far as performances for me, like he didn't say much of anything to me, you know, it was kind of like, I would get one where I was happy. We'd listen to it. And, and if he was, he was usually yeah pretty agreeable about it. Yeah. It's, 
I wish I could say more. Like he he got nerdy about the guitars. You know that was his thing. Mm-hmm. Is he had he spent you know as much as people spend on houses on his guitar collection. Yeah. And he yeah and he was very proud of it. And him and Tom nerded out a ton about guitars. So yeah, for drums he was he was. Um, it was just yeah. I, there's not much to say. And unfortunately, yeah, he just he he wasn't. Uh, he he did tell me an interesting story. I don't know if you know this one about how Travis Barker recorded "Anima of the State." No, please do. Okay, so this was funny. I you know it's kind of it's on the subject a little bit, but so Travis that was his first record with with Blink, and he's definitely different than Mark and Tom uh, at the time. Obviously, uh, Mark and Tom were like like siblings almost you know like just goofy joking around all the time just like almost never serious you know Mm -hmm. and travis is very serious you know and he they were tracking it traditionally you know where mark and tom are in there playing along with them and he got so annoyed with them he just told them you don't need to be here and so he tracked that whole record just by himself he 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 would take the the headphones listen to the click and throw the the headphones away from the mics and just just come in and just do it and he just he did like all of the songs in like eight hours or something jerry said Um. and then he just left and went home (laughs) i was like that's crazy so whenever i hear those songs come on the radio i'm always trying to imagine travis just like just in that room just going bonkers to nothing just to listen into in his head which for me is really amazing because I rely so much on just the to have like the the melody of the lyric kind of going to like know where I am. Yeah, you know, totally. And uh, the few times that we have done songs where Mike's vocals really quiet or whatever, it's like yeah, I'm lost. So that would be a monumental feat if I was to do something like that. <laughs> yeah, but no, Jerry. Jerry was always yeah. He's just super fun to work with. He's just a very la- was a very laid back, um, funny just kind of not goofy but um liked goofy things and had a goofy sense of humor i guess he was super funny (laughs) well i mean you saying that you wish you could have more i mean that that really that says a lot about him i mean that the fact that you he he, he cultivated an environment where you'd be the one stressing out not the producer you know so he kind of like almost made you bring yourself up because you're like well now i have to be happy with it i'm not trying to impress someone else you know (laughs) right right exactly Do, do you feel that like those those juxtapositions of, of of styles do you prefer one or the other or do you do you like when someone's like you're gonna want to hear this in 40 years and be happy we did that hi-hat take again well so it, it's turned around where i'm the most picky now about it like um yeah it, it basically how it's been since jerry finn uh with one exception i guess uh it, it's that set me on the on the path of the way I am in the studio to this day, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, <laughs> I was telling this story to the guys, and they were like, really? Like, they were very shocked. So I was telling a story about how I never really had fun in the studio until we did Panic. Oh, okay. You know, that's the first time I could ever actually say that I was enjoying myself tracking drums. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, dude. It's just always like a stress <laughs> fest, and you know, and I just hate listening to it. And it's just, it's, I just hate myself, you know. And uh, but when we were recording Panic, 
the producer Gavin McKillop, uh, we we did the first song, and I came in to listen to it, and same situation, the sweating like crazy, and and kind of like hating myself a little bit. Uh, we listened to it down, and and I was like, what do you think? What do you think? You know? And he's like, it doesn't sound like you're having any fun. He's like, it's a perfectly fine take, but like, it just sounds like you're just it just doesn't have that like like you're having a good time he's like he's like when when do you have the most fun playing your instrument and i was like live definitely you know and he's like why do you think that is and i said i think there's just no not as much pressure i guess and the, the, the it's not a microscope you know you're not under the microscope yeah i mean you obviously do want to perform well and stuff but like there's a sense of that you're not even paying attention to what you're doing it's this He's like, go there, go there. Pretend that's what you're doing and where you're at. And it it was like a switch flipped. I got the drums done. I was improving just right there, just uh, doing fills that I would never do, and just really like in the moment more than I ever had been. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a pivotal moment for me as well. So I was able to kind of know what I needed, I guess, sort of a, 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 an education. Like I needed that Steve Kravak early on to be like, you know, Catholic school, you know, the nuns wrapping the back of your hands with the rulers. I needed that at that time because I was highly undisciplined. And then I needed that input from another person to help me kind of just like relax and, and, and enjoy myself and then from then on, I've really, that's really what I've tried to do. That's the place I try to get where it's like, I'm having fun and I'm, the energy that I'm putting into this is, I don't know. It's like, I want to be playing the drums. I don't want the drums to be playing me, which is, you know, for a lot of years, that's how I felt. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Just all I can do to just play it right. And then I think letting go, relaxing, and kind of not focusing so much on, you know, looking down, just what am I doing, you know, uh, has helped me a ton. So, yeah. I I love Panic because that was the record that I was so into, like the highly tuned snare and the super clean sounding drums, the Orange County percussion style. Yeah. That vibe you're thinking. Yeah. And then when Panic came out, I remember your your snare is pretty. Uh, like, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, it's very thuddy. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's dark. The, the drums on that record are really fun, um, yeah. and the guitars too. It's just a darker tone of the whole record. A, yeah. a very stark contrast to before everything and after. Right. Which, yeah, I can definitely say, and I also love before everything and after because I I again going back to pop. That was probably the most poppy record you guys did. Uh huh. That, that's I could tell you were having more fun on the drums with Panic after being kind of the more restrained pop punk of before everything and after. Yeah, for so sure. For I sure. can tell. I can tell that that, yeah. that story it was validated as a listener. I could tell you were having more fun yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was. I was like, oh my god, okay, this is cool because I really hated, always dreaded going into the studio, and I, there's a, still a little bit of that. Sure. Um, but you know, I. Yeah, it, it. I just enjoy it so much more. And I'm, yeah, and so I'll listen to the take and be like, yeah. And, you know, now with punching and stuff, it's like we'll get a few good takes and I'll listen through 
and be like, you know, we'll kind of Frankenstein it together and be like, okay, that fill could be a little stronger, you know, and I'll go back through and try that a couple times. And, yeah. and then that's it. That's good. But, <laughs> but the record that we did, uh, with Casey Bates, the, the self title that we put out two years ago, that mm-hmm. was a great experience. You know, that was, that was a ton of fun. I was sick as a dog recording the drums. Like I got the flu. Like the I started feeling crappy the day that we were doing setting up the mics and getting tones and all that. And I was like, Oh, oh no! God. So I get up the next day, just uh, I just want to be in bed. But I had to, yeah. So I spent all day recording the drums and a little bit the next day. And and he did some editing. Came back. He's like, Man, you made my life really easy. I didn't have to do a ton of editing. But yeah, and they just sound huge. And did yeah. you guys record that at Monkey Trench? We did. Yep. Yeah, we recorded that uh, upstairs in the in the regular drum room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we record downstairs. The, the the most of the stuff we've done lately is just kind of you know where you walk in and it's just that living room where you kind of play. Yep. That's where we're recording the drums now, and it sounds better. Yeah, it sounds cool. really good. A little more open. And how pumped were you to have Let's Ride on? Uh, <laughs> Tony Hawk Pro Skater? That's yeah, awesome, no, man. Congrats. Very cool. Yeah, that's one of those things like people that i know that i work with you know that that oh they know that i play in a band and oh that's cool (laughs) telling them something like that like oh yeah we have a song on tony hawk pro skater they're like oh really like you know it kind of like pulls us out of the where are they now been to like oh you guys are actually like still somewhat viable here okay cool (laughs) and uh before we go on to the next one uh, let's ride is a great example of the beat itself is is uh, you know is is something that I would think of that fits with that kind of strumming pattern, you know. But yeah. the way that you you are disciplined in your your bass drum patterns uh, in how yeah. it's it's a different one from the verse to the chorus and then the turnarounds. I've always loved that about your playing is that you're not yeah you're just always cognizant of that and it's very yeah. apparent in your recordings. Right. Yeah. I that was something that I that I. It took me a minute to to pit, start paying attention to because I when I used to play early our early stuff I would just kind of just whatever felt okay you know and I listen back mm-hmm. to those recordings and go okay it's, <laughs> it's like mm, yeah, the pattern it's never wrong but it just changes you know just kind of it's fluid yeah. like and uh, yeah I think it was Steve Kravak definitely mm-hmm. made me think of that you know just bringing to attention my attention like that sense of you know what's happening between the kick and snare needs to really be reflective of what's happening but the guy's hands you know mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah that's true yes yeah, yeah so yeah i've always really tried to to make that just pop you know well it's it's very <laughs> yeah it's very apparent for sure <laughs> So, all right, the last one is going to be uh, Jesse Sprinkle. I actually have not heard of this band, so I was stoked when you sent it to me. Um, yeah, band's Poor Old Lou. Yeah, this is a deep cut. So this is one of those guys that I never would in a million years would kind of think of as like a top five guy. But we played with Poor Old Lou. Uh, so Poor Old Lou <clears throat> and, and the guitar player Aaron Sprinkle played a pretty pivotal role in our early band career like so uh poor old lou played in in not bremerton but port orchard right next door uh i think with we'd only been a band like a year and they played like a backyard party or something i don't know what it was but mike Mm -hmm. and andy went to that and gave aaron sprinkle 
a cassette tape demo that we had made. And he listened to it and he was like, okay. He's like, you know, you guys, it's, it's a little rough, but I think you guys have some potential, you know? And cause they were like signed to a label, indie label, but still like it was, you know, for us like, oh wow, it's cool. Yeah. So there was a small music scene in Seattle that we kind of like made our way into because of Poor Old Lou. So we played quite a few shows with them and Jesse is just an amazing drummer. <laughs> like he's, He's so good, like so clean, and but he's got a lot of those like, um, just little flourishes that just make it just so much cooler. But but he can just kind of rock too, and so he was somebody that I during those early years before we were signed, before anything, and that I tried to like copy basically, or just like oh that's so cool, like a lot of his fills and stuff, and and the way he set up and. Yeah, so he's great drummer. Obscure band because they're they haven't been around for a long, long, long time. But uh, yeah, but this song's kind of fun. You you get to kind of hear some of his his uh, skills. Yeah. So the song is Hope for Always. Yeah. Off the album yeah. Sin. Are they still together? I mean, do they still play no, around? No, they haven't been together probably since the early 90s. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Aaron Sprinkle was the guy that produced Poking at you. Mm-hmm. And also he produced Secret Weapon. So he's a he's oh. lives in Nashville. Like, he's a producer. He's produces quite a lot of stuff. And him and Jesse still work together. They're brothers. Um, but yeah, he, Aaron, Aaron was super talented guy, uh, writer, player, and Jesse, his little brother is just amazing too. And those guys grew up with Jeremy Enoch on Vashon. Yeah. So there's like a little connection there. We actually played with Jeremy Enoch one time with those guys a long, long time ago. But yeah, this is like 90, this would be like 93, 94. (laughs) So way, way back. (laughs) Speaking of Ashland, I always have a uh, a future in my head that exists with me having like a little cabin on Vashon Island just to go to if I want to just yeah. leave everything for like a week or two, right? Um, and go to that Zombie Burger. I'm not sure if that's still around. Or oh, I'm was... not sure. I haven't. I went to Vashon a couple of years ago just because, and uh, just did the kind of main drag, and I don't remember yeah. seeing that. But yeah, I was like, wow, this oh. is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that song, I remember, I mean, again, I hadn't heard of the band until you sent it to me. So yeah. a few of the things that I pulled from it that I think that uh, it sounds like you might have pulled from it a little bit is uh, like crashes with the guitar hits. Like do, yeah. da, do, do, da, da. Mm-hmm. Um, kind mm-hmm. of accenting those things and uh, making sure that the people are aware that the rhythm is happening. Right. Um, and then just the going back and forth between halftime, regular time, and just the varying of, of drum beats um, all within the punk rock realm, realm, but within the song, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, I didn't go into the whole catalog, but it seemed like, right, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yuri might've been pulling a little bit from that as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He's definitely an early influence for sure. 
Um, I mean, that's that's the five. Uh, there it is. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I had a good, I had a good time, man. Oh, good. Um, yeah, me too. R- real quick, I'm sure you've answered this a million times, but so do you still write periods with X's, or is that just is that like a <laughs> random thing you did and now it's become infamous? Because again, if people don't know, magnified plaid, but you wrote X's instead of the periods when you yeah, were abbreviating yeah. it. Yeah, I'm the one that came up with that, but like. And, you know, like the band Drunken Engines, they do that, you know, little X's. Okay. But I, I didn't know who they were then. So, yeah, I just, I don't know why I did that. I have no idea. I was doodling a lot back in the day. And, and there for like a minute, it was looking like I was going to be like the band artist. But I soon got <laughs> like overshadowed by real artists. But, um, but, yeah, Mike would be like, hey, why don't you draw a band logo or something, you know? But, yeah, that one just came out of nowhere and and mxpx in the early days was just like shorthand we didn't even really call ourselves mxpx except amongst our friends a group of friends we always put magnify plaid on the posters and then when we got signed uh brandon evil the owner of tooth and nail he he was like you know let's let's go with one or the other you know and he was much more a fan of mxpx and we all kind of were so, but I've had to forever explain that uh, story. It's so funny. So I got, I, I was a huge fan of the Violent Femmes for a long time. Mm. And uh, I got to meet those guys, you know, under the weirdest circumstances. But they ended up asking, it was a festival that we were playing at with them, but they were like forced to apologize. Or Gordon Gaynor, the singer, was forced to apologize to me for being a dick because he was a dick to me one time. <laughs> And somehow, like, through our label, like, and I, and I, this was not, I did not ask for this. Someone else, like, made him do this. But, like, yeah, he had to, like, say he was sorry and stuff. But anyways, <laughs> we had this conversation. <laughs> no, it was super Did he, like, do, like, pull you aside, like, in, like, the hallway? And was it this no, big thing? Well, so, the, the story is, we played a festival with them, uh, and I tried to, talk to him you know he we were all backstage and and he was like right next to me we were watching a band so i waited till the band was done and i went to introduce myself and he just like just stared at me he didn't say a word he just stared at me and i was like okay i guess you know i guess we're not talking so the next year we we played with them again another festival and i i was talking to our a and r guy from a and m records at the time and he was asking me if there was anyone I was interested in seeing at the festival. And I said, well, the Violent Femmes are uh, 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 an old favorite of mine. And, and then I kind of told him the story about how uh, Gordon kind of um, uh, stiff-armed me. That one. And he's like, oh, he's like, I know their manager. You know, if you want to meet them. And I was like, no, 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 it's okay. It's yeah, fine. You're making this worse, please. Yeah, Just let's yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, if you're sure, you know. So like an hour later, he comes back and he's like, Hey, you know, Mike and Tom are ready to go, so let's let's go. And so I start walking with him and we're walking towards this woman and I was like, oh, "Okay, things are starting to this is starting to get weird." So he we go up to the woman and he's like, "Yuri, this is the Violent Films manager." And I told her about your story. Oh no. And she told the guys and they want to make it right. So I was like, "Okay, and she's like, don't worry, don't worry, it'll be fine. Because I was, of course, just like, oh, really? So <laughs> I went into their backstage dressing room at the festival, and, and the whole band was there and walked in there all awkwardly. And Gordon Gano stood up and shook my hand. And, 
and we're just just basically super small talk and he's like oh i hear you're in a band too and i was like yeah and he's like well what are you guys called and i was like uh mxpx and he's like well what does that mean you know what does that you know just what does that stand for (laughs) so i told him the whole story and he's like yeah band names are pretty hard to come up with you know just like yeah like but i was like okay no i'll take no more of your time yeah that was super weird (laughs) but yeah do do you offer services for people like drum stuff in your basement are you not there yet or like you can talk i'm not there yet i Mm -hmm. I think that's something i would uh i eventually want to explore but uh, it's kind of a slow process i'm still just kind of getting this area set up and and doing that song with uh mxpx the song's called fever dream i did the drums here oh right yeah uh, that was like, oh, cool. I can, I can do this, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, it could be something I'd be interested in, but I want to get to a place where I feel a little more comfortable before okay. I start putting it out there. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I don't really want to date this episode, but, um, you had mentioned, um, your, your live streaming that you're doing the between this world and the next a little bit before yeah. you have some, some shows coming up that my listeners probably want to potentially watch so can you talk a little bit about that real quick yeah absolutely so we're doing two more live streams this year we're doing one december 4th and one december 23rd mm-hmm. um and i know at least the one on the 4th is at 6 30 p.m so um that's the time we did the last one too so yeah we just uh it, it's a little different because we're not like at a venue we're just in our practice space and we have the ability to you know chat with fans a little bit in between songs and so there's some level of interaction that would be maybe unusual for a regular show but yeah the last time the last one we did was it was a ton of fun and and we're looking forward to doing those again and mxpx.com is the place for all the info and and where you're going to be able to buy tickets for those all right yuri well thanks for being on the show i appreciate it man and uh I'll, i'll talk to you soon okay sounds good thanks ben and that's the show. Be sure to check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BigFatSnareDrum. The audio you're hearing was edited in part by Isotope RX8 Audio Editor, so go check that out at Isotope.com. Cheers. <laughs>